Welcome to Quarter Life Archives, a podcast about the highs and the lows of going through your quarter life. We're your hosts, Noni and Karina. Welcome back to Quarter Life Archives. On this episode, we'll be talking about developing countries. We'll be discussing some stereotypes or misconceptions, or maybe stereotypes that are also true. Um, And we have a guest today. Hello, Donna. Hey, guys. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, Donna was actually a friend of ours from university, and we thought we she would be really good for this topic. Can you introduce where you're from, at least, Donna, like a bit about yourself? Yeah, so I'm from Egypt, and I'm currently living and working in Egypt. Um, and I've lived in Abu Dhabi before and in, in Europe, so I kind of understand the differences between developing and developed countries um so yeah so i think before we dive deep into this topic we should first define what exactly signifies a developed country versus a developing country i've never actually i mean apart from class yeah apart from being in class being in geography class it's usually i feel like there's a separation between the global north and the global south which sounds i don't even like that term but i feel that's what comes into my mind the first time that i hear it's usually like western versus non-western which is not true but see that also confuses me because like western from what perspective exactly but I feel like that's just like the, the, the idea that everyone has in uh, their mind, at least from a developing country point of view. I feel like in Indonesia, at least, a lot of people look to the West as this amazing place. And, you know, like everything is like so, so forward, you know. But, you know, there's also diversity in, in Western countries and not all of them. Are, are, you know, at the same level as each other when it comes to when you're talking about develop or developing. Yeah, I think I think maybe that's the perspective that's been pushed throughout like the past decades is that the West is what's great. Like, let's say, you know, the five superpowers, the US, the UK, France, Germany. I think these countries were pushed to be like bigger powers just because they have more capital and they're way more in- industrialized. Like they've been... Uh, their process of industrialization, especially in the UK, took a, was a lot quicker than the rest of the world, and therefore they they got a jump start. So I think what happened is that a lot of other countries started depending on them for capital mm-hmm. and resources, and even information. So I think that the de- dependency is what caused developing and developed countries, or the global south or the global north. But I think that uh, that view of um, the West was something that was pushed over, like intentionally, because, I, like you said, like how we still think, like we look at the West as something that's so great. Like I could say the same thing yeah. for Egypt, is that we compare ourselves to the West, and we we can't really define what the West is. So like you said, there's there's a big diversity in the West. So who are we actually comparing to? We adopt so a lot of things from the West, and then we just view it as something that's in in a sense better than us. And I think that's something that's also like. Uh, passed on to us like I think the media and everything tries to uh, tries to put forward the view as in like um, some developing countries are 
for example, less civilized or they're less developed and therefore they need the West's information, whatever, and technology resources to, to, to progress. And um, I, that's also like the basis of aid. We do take aid from the West. And I'm rambling on, but like, like... Wow, at the end of this, she'll have covered all the topics. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, there's so much to say. That's the thing. It's you can't you can't you can't define it. That's a thing, right? There is a one defined definition between developing and developed countries. And you know, I mean, obviously, in the end, you did say like there's no clear definition of what counts as a developing and developed country. And I think that's so important to understand because then you know we need to stop thinking us as developing countries that there is a certain point we need to get to, and the only way that we need to get to is to follow these certain countries. There are different ways to to develop you know yeah 100% I I was just looking online and defining develops and developed countries did your homework Donna (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I should have known that from my degree but then I forgot (laughs) that I was okay let me search it up again (laughs) and it was just basically developed countries was like highly progressed and possesses great technological Mm. infrastructure while developing countries is low industrialization and low human development index but that just makes me think that like then Egypt would have been considered that developing because we do have a lot of industries. Now we are considered uh, relatively industrialized. So what? Where does that put us? We're not still developed. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say we are developed. So where does that put us? You know, it's just. It's. A, I think it's a very black and white. And now we aren't really black and white. No, it, for sure. I mean, even the words that are like great technological infrastructure, that's not even like something you can measure great, you know? It's so subjective as well. <laughs> I think it's also just hard because in the end, the standard will always be with like the most developed countries, like the ones you mentioned earlier, like the US and the UK and Germany. And they're always going to be like further ahead because they've had such a big jump start. So either way, the definition's always changing. Like, I mean, Egypt could have caught up a shit ton and still they're not even close to what, I guess, the Western standard is of great technological advancement. So let's move on to the first bigger chunk of topics that we want to talk about, mainly what mainstream media's perception is of developing nations. I mean, For two people who are from two different developing nations, what bothers you guys the most about how they are portrayed? I mean, there's so many things to talk about this. (laughs) I can list so many things. And a lot of times when it comes to developing nations and how they're portrayed, I don't think Indonesia is portrayed the worst. But I think in general, just like how they portrayed our cities, just full of slums, or maybe we don't even have cities. I think I've talked to people and then they're really surprised of how many tall buildings there are in Jakarta, or the fact that we even have Starbucks, which first of all, isn't like a good indicator of a developing country or city. 100%, I was just gonna agree with you, uh, especially with like the uh, general infrastructure and how the, how mm-hmm. the country looks. And with Starbucks, it's so funny because we have a lot of Starbucks drive through here. And I thought like, wow, <laughs> we don't even have that in Holland. <laughs> again, again, not the not the best indicator of a developing city or country. <laughs> yeah, I just feel like a lot of times people are just confused that we have basic needs. <laughs> like we have clean things. We have, I don't know. I don't know what kind of image that they have in their mind. I mean, obviously, it's very much portrayed by mainstream media. 
especially sometimes these comments they come from you know my peers who are educated i feel like you should know how to you know see the 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 right and wrong the the true and false like what is fake news um and try to like research a bit more than making assumptions i guess and that's something i also find annoying you know they they see one area of like a continent or or a area and then they assume that is the same for the entire um um continent you know yeah i can yeah i can definitely say the same thing for the middle east i can't speak uh, generally for the whole middle east but then Mm -hmm. i did get comments um about me being like arab or middle eastern and for example that they didn't expect me to look a certain way and then, what do you mean? They're like, oh, but you're you're Arab. Like, why do you look like that? I'm like, there are 22 Arab countries. And <laughs> like, how, like, what kind of, how do you see us? Like, what is the image that you see in your mind for you to tell me I don't look uh, like my identity, you know? Uh, like, for example, I'm going to talk specifically for Egypt is that a lot of people assume that we literally live in the desert. I mean, we do live in like... But that doesn't mean that, like, I do live in a tent or, like, I would, like, Google. I don't know if, if you also did the same thing, but I would show people pictures. I'm like, this is how this is how Cairo is. Or this is, like, we yeah. do have beaches. They're like, yeah. you have beaches? Like, how? Yeah, I mean, at the same time, I'm always, like, super happy and super excited to share more and, like, teach more about my country. Especially because, you know, when they're asking me, they're asking someone who is actually from there. Whereas when you just search up from the internet, you know, there's a lot of biases, there's a lot of misconceptions that you can, that you can um, come across. So I'm also like super, super happy to give knowledge about, you know, how it actually is. But I think what annoys me is just like when it's like so out of this world that, you know, a developing country can be like this, you know? Uh, Like sometimes I don't even blame them. Like it's just that like that's what media and what textbooks and what school is portrayed. It's the media. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For For so long, for so long, that's the Mm -hmm. the perspective they have. Because what we have over like, like what, for example, I've learned over the West is a really like good living standard and like education. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the times it's also just pretty scenes, like just like beautiful cities and whatever, beautiful landscape. And that's not something that was portrayed from us, you know, us, it was more of like poverty. A lot of it was also just like weird culture norms rather than, I don't know, just like the reality. We're normal people too. (laughs) We do normal things as well. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we do normal things as well. I think one thing that you often also see is that these countries are portrayed as inherently conservative. And while like to much extent it can be true, as someone, you know, I feel like, I mean, maybe it's also the fact that the people that I've met from these countries are the ones who actually move out of the country to study somewhere. But everyone I've met, of course, then there's the age demographic is relatively liberal or open minded and doesn't have those same conservative values or ideals. For, for example, the Arabs that I have met that have moved abroad to to study, I realize that a lot of them come from a certain like social status or an income level mm-hmm. that allows them to study abroad in the first place. And usually that entails that they've received higher level, like uh, more expensive education back home, private schools and whatnot that could influence them by Western values because of international schools and private schools. And that could kind of influence their 
their views. So they tend to be more liberal. And the fact that they would go travel abroad, that's already a liberal view because for example, when I when I was telling my family I'm going to go study abroad, they a lot some of them were like how like you're 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 going to be all alone. How can you just go like that uh on your own independent, but you're also a woman. How can you be all alone? I think these are conservative remarks. So there is definitely still conservatism. Um, a lot of it is over-exaggerated by the media, mm-hmm. but there is still, like, I guess this cultural conservatism because we are such an also collective society. We like families staying close and our relatives. We yeah. like having everyone so close. So, yeah, so I guess that just instills our cultural norms and, you know, yeah. and conservatism. Yeah. Yeah, I think it really depends on, you know, what aspect you're talking about when you talk about conservatism. Like what you said earlier when it comes to like being from a more collective culture, prioritizing family over over the things. Some people may not understand that, you know. An example is I think a lot of people get confused when I say that, you know, most Indonesians, you know, stay with their parents until they are married. And because we are more of a conservative country they don't maybe don't they don't see that it's because I come from a collective background and that's why the reason that that we do it maybe they see another aspect of a conservative country and maybe they're like oh is it because you're a girl you know like I think there could be some mismatches in the uh, uh, when it comes to these things and that's the thing that I don't like all right so okay so I'm also searching up like the definition of conservatism <laughs> and it's essentially yes. commitment to traditional values and ideas with opposition to mm-hmm. change or innovation but I think so I'm going to say that like as a Middle Eastern from Middle Eastern point of view is that conservatism is usually pushed by media as a religious narrative rather mm-hmm. than just yeah. traditional values and ideas so a lot of the times I think when you search up on Google like conservative Arabs or whatnot you will find people like in uh, religious like dress or what's not but then that's not really what conservatism also is right and I think the media tries to portray that that in a sense like I, f- I feel like it's just putting that region in a in a box like that's how they yeah. are that's yeah. how they think and they're opposing to change and that's it's kind of just defining us by that just one thing rather than anything else like rather than just looking at honestly the core reason is that we are relatively a collective society and we like our traditions we like our culture uh, and we like celebrating it but it's just viewed by the west as in like we don't agree with this so therefore we're just gonna view it as something that's backwards or uncivilized or whatever all, all the all this the words and adjectives that are used against middle eastern yeah. uh, society right so to, to push that forward notion is like they're conservative, they're not willing to change and whatnot, you know? I feel like with a lot of things, it's so much easier to just uh, view something as backwards because you don't understand it. And I don't think it's a bad thing at all to, you know, know your heritage and be proud of your culture and, you know, still have strong ties to like those historic values that you used to have. And I think, especially when you look at the US, because it's such a like melting pot of different people. And in in, in the end, they also have a very short-lived history if you think about how young the country is. So anything they deem not modern, they deem like, yeah, backwards. Whereas you just come from a country where, you know, you value your history. 
and it's so funny though because like um, I I would say I'm not that like traditional in the sense I'm not that uh, close to my traditions as other people in Egypt. But then I, if you would talk to someone who is uh, very embedded in the culture, they would view the West as in like backwards. You know, it's it's like how are they not thinking like uh, like us? You know, I think it's a, it's a it's more of like an acceptance issue is that we can't accept anyone thinking just differently as us because we don't understand it. Like Karina said, it's just we we can't understand someone viewing something so differently than us. And I think it's also just uh, education and awareness. I probably wouldn't have been thinking and would have have been accepting if I hadn't been exposed to so many cultures and exposed to many friends. You know, just. Like looking back at university, sitting with you guys sometimes or just sitting with different people from different culture, you always learn a lot and you always just, your eyes are more open to different perspectives and different views. So that is something that not a lot of people are exposed to and therefore they're more just embedded in their own views, you know, they can't see anything else. Um, I think one thing that also like bothers me is when more developed countries has the need to interfere with domestic issues of the more developing countries. And this can be in in many ways. It could be with charity work or other things. But I think that's something that you see very often and it it bothers me. I don't know, like, what are your guys' perspective on this? I think it's definitely something that bothers me too. I think a lot of it is also very... It has, like, malicious intentions, you know. Like, Mm -hmm. there is a reason why countries are so keen and not only countries like or organizations like the IMF is so keen to provide aid and it is a form um of con- of control may i say it's it's something that keeps them in in debt uh, and therefore it always keeps them wanting um wanting the help of western countries and when developing countries need that um or acquire that help Developed countries have a leverage over them. So therefore, they have a leverage over their resources, their labor. Um, I think, I mean, you already insinuated this, but the issue is that any of these kind of aid transactions, there's it's always a two way street. It's not that we're giving you this with the intent of simply helping you, but, you know, we're also expecting something back in return. And, you know, it's very clear with what's happening in many African countries with China's growing influence and their growing like financial investment into these you know at it's seemingly random you know countries where they feel like they can get something out of it where they send migrant Chinese workers over but in the end you know who's really benefiting from these growing infrastructures is China that's benefiting from it I think yeah I mean in this case we're talking about you know the more bigger organizations or bigger companies investing in countries but there's also those the more smaller charities, the more individual charities, for example, you know, you have those sort of missions that a lot of teenagers or a lot of young adults go to to rebuild an area, rebuild the school of an area, of a very, very poor area. And essentially, that's not really helping the area that they're trying to help. You're not giving them the tools so they, they can rebuild the schools, the facilities themselves. You're not empowering them. You're You're basically saying, okay, we as, you know, we know the best, so we're going to build it for you, you know. And, and and in the end of the day, I feel like a lot of times it's sort of like tourism in a sense, you know, like charity tourism where you're you're paying for this feeling for like, wow, I did something good for this place. You know, you, you have this feeling of you did something good. But in the end, 
there's so many better solutions um, to help these communities. It's, it's kind of like charity tourism, especially, especially when working mm-hmm. with children. Um, I was yes. reading this article about how, um, how bad it is that there are so many volunteers going to uh, these remote locations, interacting with children, and um, how bad it is for their emotional attachment is that children start to attach to the, these visitors coming in, these visitors showing them all the support and this love, and then these visitors going away. That constantly happens to them to the point where they essentially become numb to that and numb to being introduced to strangers and whatnot, that it, it's not really good for their emotional well-being, especially when dealing with children you know, and being shown all that love support and that taken away and then a new group of people coming, showing them all that love support taken away. It, it really damages their emotional well-being. Um, and I think what happens is that we just, we see it from like a very like, like that privileged point of view, like I'm going to go help these people that are like living without like, whatever water or they're not living as just as good as me and I'm going to go help them and volunteer with them it's probably going to change their lives and then you just go spend 10 days with these people and then you just leave and you don't really think of like what are the long-term benefits of what am I doing is is this actually going to help them Um, are we giving them like tools and resources to allow them to live better for the rest of their lives or is it just something short-term um one thing that I also find interesting with a lot of these missions is that for some reason, in order to help someone, you need to travel to a different country. Mm-hmm. Like, why can't you also look at the poorer communities, you know, the the communities that are left behind when it comes to a lot of societal development, even in your own country, and go help them? But no, you have to travel to some African country in order for you to feel fulfilled and do real good Yeah, one more thing, I think, is specifically with how aid has been, I think it's more of like a a top-down approach. It's very from like a very generic point of view, and it's just people coming in and thinking, this place needs that and needs that and needs that, instead of actually researching and actually talking to the people in the place. Maybe like your views, especially when it's someone coming from a completely different cultural background or completely different country and then assuming that's what this place needs like for example I cannot go and even in like rural areas in Egypt even though I'm Egyptian and go and be like okay this is what you guys need I can't do that because they've they're the ones that have lived there their whole life and they're the ones that would know what they what they think they need best and I think how aid and charity should go from now on or Some actually organizations have already been doing that, but it's just more of a bottom up, actually living with the people, asking them what they want, researching to to understand the core issues that they've been experiencing instead of going in with our own point of view and our own uh, understandings and assuming, okay, that is what you guys need. The next thing we want to touch upon, and I think Dana has already said this earlier, is the act of sort of westernizing everything and the perception that um, we need to moder- go you know we need to go through the same sort of direction as these so-called developed countries to improve. I think like you said it and to an extent it's just that like we assume that in order to be modern or progressive we have to look a certain way we have to progress a certain way there isn't mm-hmm. we're, we're all following the same path because we think that that's gonna 
get us to the progressive state, basically. Like what is happening in Egypt right now is what happened in America in the 40s when, in the 1940s, when um, there was like the expansion, like suburban areas and therefore like uh, car infrastructure increased so that people are depending on cars so that they can get from the city to suburb suburban areas. And that's exactly what's happening in Cairo is that we're building suburban areas mm-hmm. And we're building car infrastructure so that we can move from the cities up to the suburban areas. And we are following a model. Like, we're not really essentially creating our own thing. We just assume that because that happened and it worked in America, then it's going to work here. And actually, it's not really going to work in America for so long because of... Yeah, I don't think it's working in America. (laughs) Exactly. So, like, why don't we learn from that and realize that, you know what, like... Actually, it's not the best solution. We could have done something else, but no, it's just that modernization of of like these standards that other countries have yeah. been through, and that we have to go through the same thing. Yeah, I mean, you can also see it. You know, other than like seeing it in like the developing on cities, you can also see it in like how someone presents oneself. Like a lot of times, how someone usually presents themselves culturally, you know, their cultural background, is then considered maybe as informal not informal uncivilized um, uncivil uncivilized but also there's you know <laughs> not appropriate it, not appropriate that's the word especially in work settings you know i've seen this in news where black women with their hair uh with their with their very curly hair they're not seemed as appropriate in a work setting but that's their natural hair <laughs> this also comes from these western um western standards of beauty when western countries started coming into these other countries and enforcing their western standards on them and that comes with a lot of things with hairstyles um, the way we behave um, skin color obviously our values and our religion also play a huge role and that trying to change because of the western views that this is a lot better or this is the right way this is the way to a to the most progressive state and that instilling in us and it's it's so sad and I think maybe you can relate Noni with also like there's a lot of advertisements here about skin mm-hmm. skin whitening, um, mm-hmm. a lot of creams that mm-hmm. that you know that are publicly advertised publicly advertised so that you can have fair skin so that you can look more beautiful and that's absolutely sickening. You're where did we get that standard of beauty from and that could happen in skin but it also happen in hair um so a lot of a lot of people before i think now there's a lot of hair empowerment so a lot of girls are embracing and and boys embracing their curls which is absolutely amazing to watch um but before if you would i'm talking from obviously in egypt from the perspective of egypt is that um six years ago seven years ago the treatment of keratin and these treatments that make your hair straight like for years was extremely popular they don't want their hair they don't want their curls and therefore they're resorting to these treatments that make their hair straight uh but now I think I don't know if you'd also like think the same, but there is a bigger like um, call for like encouragement of your of your natural hair, um, and these treatments have decreased a lot. I think. Yeah, I mean, I can say definitely there is so much improvement, but I think because it was so embedded in our society that you know you you need to look a certain way, especially when it comes to hair and skin, that you can definitely see it 
still like I mean I today I had a comment <laughs> saying that um you should wear long sleeves while you're biking because you know because you're a woman because it's uglier if you are dark like what the like, excuse me <laughs> that's so ridiculous within Chinese culture as well like dark skin is associated with you're poorer because back in the day people would be working on the fields and they'd be working in farms and only the more rich you know high society could afford to stay indoors and not be exposed to the sun it's like and and thing is it's so embedded in people that you when you tell them like why do you view that like in that way they just don't know that's just how it's been for years and years and that's how it's so engraved in their minds um For me as well, I feel like I have this natural inclination to products that are made within specific like Western countries. Like when I see made in Germany or made in France, like when it comes to like cookware, I'm like, ooh, quality. You know, like there is this natural impression that things that are produced in the West are naturally better. I don't know if you guys have this. I mean, also tech, like phones, you know. But then everything is made in China. I know everything is made in China, but that's that's the irony of it. That's the irony of it. You know, it's designed in California, but made in China, you know. <laughs> but when it comes to other things, like, I don't know, clothes, I guess. You know, again, everything is made in China, but, you know, it's a US, US company or like a Western company. Um, and then a lot of times, you know, when I was younger, when I was a teenager, I would have... I would think, oh, this is so much cooler because it's a a Western brand. And I wouldn't really shop locally, which is so weird. (laughs) Um, When the matter of fact is, a lot of these brands that I used to shop when I was younger, for example, let's say Forever 21, that's absolute shit quality, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Yeah, good times. I mean, even now, I don't really shop, like when it comes to my clothes, I don't shop locally. I always shop at those like brands and not like expensive brands. I'm talking like basic brands. Like, fucking. Doesn't that also link to like modernization and West, like, and, and like sticking to Western standards? Is that like, it's, it's same, it's the same thing as, um, like how these chains have become so popular that they're almost in every country, whether developing or developed. Let's talk about Zara, Bershka, Pull and Bear. You'd find that. A lot of them are made in developing countries. Like a lot of the 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 clothes are made in not in the country that it's designed in specifically. Um, and it's, it's fashion trends and international fashion trends that we adhere to. And it's usually also just very like Western, very just standardized. It's never. Yeah. It's it's. And a- there is a term for that, right? McDonaldization. McDonaldization. <laughs> yes, exactly. Geography 101. <laughs> I think it's where, you know, the, the aspects of what happens, of how things in McDonald's produces also apply to everything else in the world. Exactly. It's just, it's, it's very, it's the same and it goes by the book and there isn't any kind of variation to it. And then now I think they've been starting to see how... I want to say in quotation marks, hip certain cultures are. So they would, like a lot of designer brands would integrate certain cultures into their designs 
and obviously yeah. that is culture appropriation so but i mean it, that it but that selling. in itself it's also like super gray that area what is culture appropriation and what is cultural celebration you know i feel like sometimes a lot of people do i mean again i am not for cultural appropriation at all but i feel like sometimes uh, when you see on Twitter, for example, sometimes I do believe sometimes it does go overboard where I think, you know, this is ce- this is celebration, but it's labeled as appropriation. Yeah, def- I, it, it, there is definitely a gray area. But like when a multi-million dollar industry mm-hmm. uses a design mm-hmm. that is used in a certain culture um, so that they can sell it to uh, to also millions of people and not considering um, its history, not considering that maybe it was before it was considered, it was like, it was like frowned on upon and it was like considered like yeah. something that shouldn't be wear or inappropriate. And then suddenly this industry is using it for their own profit. That's definitely culture. That's something that does happen, you know, and I have a lot of thoughts right now, but like, and I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm losing my train of thoughts, but, and it's all like supply and demand. So we're demanding to wear what is considered like standardized like like what Bershka is selling us or what H&M is selling us we want that we choose every day to go to H&M instead of going to a local brand and therefore there's always going to be more supply of H&M there's always going to be more supply of sorry it's at the end of the day it's our choice and I think that's something in a sense that we are doing is that every day I'm honestly like Going even in Egypt, I'm not going to go to a local brand. I'm going to go to H&M and Zara. Because you know what happens in the end? Is that local brands are considered like, uh, what, what are you wearing? Like, you have to be as hip, wear like H&M, wear whatever. Whatever you're wearing, like these like international brands, not necessarily H&M. I keep using H&M, but like not necessarily H&M, but like any other international brands rather than local brands because that's considered the hip. So when you don't have, when you're not demanding the local brands, there won't be enough supply and there won't be enough, um, enough like capital generating in that industry to make it of even better quality or to make it, you know, more available. I think I think that's one area where I think Indonesia is really um, striving, I guess, because a lot of times, and when I'm in Indonesia, I do shop locally. There's a lot of new um, young brands that they do sell like actually good clothing of quality and they are local a lot of young people are like myself and my friends and my peers we do shop in these brands um, and they're getting more popular and I think they're even as competitive right now as like these fast fashion brands like Zara or um, Bershka and whatnot Um, so I think that's one area where I think Indonesia is actually doing well in (laughs) Yeah, that's absolutely great because once you do develop your local industry, you do mm-hmm. reduce your in the, your dependence on foreign countries. So mm-hmm. that's great, and in a sense, Egypt is doing that in um, local produce. Like it comes in all aspects, just that dependence on local exactly. produce and trying to uh, grow it and trying to invest in it, which is great. It's it, it just took us a long time to recognize it. We should do that. Yeah, but I mean, again, it's really hard. It's like, you know, we have this we have this saying a lot in you know our geography class when we were in uni. You know, it's a chicken and egg situation where who, who starts first? Who, you know, do, do I start consuming better and deciding to shop more locally? Or um, do these big companies um, or like the local brands have to step up? 
It's never going to be the big companies. Money is too exactly. strong exactly. in their decision-making factor. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Unless there's like some kind of like government interference with taxes or something, like taxing these big, big fast yeah. fashion industries or taxing uh, fast food chains, whatnot. Um, I've realized something. I don't know if you've realized it as well, but uh, fast food chains are extremely overpriced in Netherlands. Not just Netherlands, also in Germany. I think it's on purpose. To dissuade people from eating so much junk because in germany it's just as expensive and always has been and that's part of the government interference and in that how it can influence like behavior another thing that i just find incredibly ironic is that these more developed nations have this perception of like yeah developing nations are less than or they're they don't have you know obviously the financial ability or they're, they're not as progress, you know, they don't have the technological advancements. But once it comes to exploiting cheap labor and exploiting their resources, they really have no hesitation when it comes to that. So they're not even giving these nations the chance to, you know, progress themselves. I think we covered a lot of ground today. And thank you, Dana, for obviously having a lot of opinions and great insights, especially with your geography background. I really enjoyed it. It was great. It was really it was really nice talking to you guys and I really had I had a really good time. Well, anyways, um again, thank you everyone for listening to this episode. We hope you really enjoyed it and we'll see you again in the next episode. Bye. 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 <laughs>